I had always had an open door with both Steph and Hunter. Stayed in contact the entire time. And it was, it, I think it started as me reaching out to Hunter as a happy birthday text. What's up, people? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin. And this is a great thing that's happened this week. We got someone here in the studio with me. Yes, in the new studio. My producer, Rhea, says is technically the first guest that we've had in person on the new studio. So, yes, Kathy Kelly is the first in-person guest of the new studio. And I'm so excited to get her here. She's someone who I've been watching since the after buzz days. I've seen her growth in the industry. And to get her here talking about it, to learn more about the person behind the TikToking and the backstage interviewing and all the stuff that you see from her, get the real side of Kathy Kelly here today. I think you guys are really going to enjoy our conversation. And yes, don't worry, I asked her about Rhea Ripley. Now, before we get to that, though, do me a solid. If you're watching this on YouTube, pick up your phone and go subscribe to the Add a Character podcast feed. That's where I'm doing the Ron Smackdown roundups every week after the show ends. Uh, Monday night, Friday night, I'm putting out these 30-minute podcasts, uh, 30 minutes-ish, uh, breaking down every segment and letting you know what I thought about it. So do me a favor. If you're only a YouTube watcher, pick up your phone and go subscribe to the Out of Character podcast feed so you're not missing out on those as well. All right, enough shilling. Let's get to my conversation with Kathy Kelly. Kathy Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. So you're not too far from here? Um, I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so takes anything, minutes. yeah, anything takes an hour to get to, but this was doable. <laughs> okay, I did good. this just for you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, we don't get to have too many people here in the studio. Uh, as my producer said, first in the new studio, mm -hmm. so uh, big honor for you. Uh, how would you describe your off-screen personality? My off-screen personality, yeah. I feel like it's very similar to my on-screen personality, although obviously less, like more than 60-second increments, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I ask maybe uh, fewer questions per, uh, per conversation than people are used to seeing on screen, but pretty much the same person. I sometimes notice now when I'm having conversations with someone, I start to feel like I'm interviewing them because I'm asking oh, yeah, so many yeah. questions and I'm like, oh, sorry. I just, I'm just do that by habit now. Yeah. <laughs> I do that a lot in, in daily life. So maybe, maybe the questions are on par. Uh, what was your upbringing like? Um, upbringing, uh, I had a single mom, grew up in Chicago, uh, really no other family in that area. She moved there for work. Um, my dad left before I was born. Um, so it was really her raising me. She was a very hard worker. Um, so there was a lot of time when I was just kind of raising myself too. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 my parents were divorced. I had both yeah. my parents in my life, but my mom was also a single mom for a little bit. And, yeah. uh, and you know, you, you get respect for someone who like really puts in that work to raise mm -hmm. a kid, have a career, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I mean, she's, she's such a powerhouse and I feel like we're seeing that more and more become normalized, but it was really before, um, we saw a lot of women in like the media or um, in society really take on those roles. Like I used to joke when I was younger, oh yeah, like my mom is more of the dad role and I'm more of the mom role because I'm home and I'm like, you know, calling companies to like take care of our kitchen cabinets or whatever from like a, a, as a child. So yeah. 
So you were that responsible as a kid? I had to be. <laughs> like literally like when, because she was so spread thin, um, like I had a drawer that I could feed myself from, from like age two. Uh, she, we talked about this before starting the podcast, but uh, she was semi-pro soccer um, and still played as long as I can remember. I think she only gave it up a couple years ago because she had two total knee replacements. But as a two-year-old, she I think she, she had an ACL-MCL tear. And so she taught me how to go downstairs, get her a tab soda or Diet Coke. She taught me what those were. And so I'd go downstairs, get it from the fridge, bring it up to her. So I was just very much like a maternal role as a child, which is weird. Do you think because of that relationship you had with your mom, that's kind of where the entertainer in you started because you kind of wanted to like make her laugh and kind of just the two of you having fun together? My family has such a dry, sarcastic sense of humor that like I can't really even verbalize it because people don't understand. Like death was very like, we would joke about that all the time. Um, had a whole, uh, my, my mom's side is Kovacs. And so we had the Kovacs American Dictionary, which is literally a 200 page dictionary that my grandmother would put together every five years for my grandpa's birthday and it had all of these idioms before like before anything was like you know ily or tbt or whatever we had ntbt which is nice to be together that's what you'd say when you cheers people um we would have h-a-n-w which is have a nice weekend that's how you sign all of your emails so it goes through this like intense thing but i don't think that i don't think that my mom was where i i mean like i definitely got the humor from that side of the family. But I think because I had so much time alone, I just really enjoyed storytelling. And like, I was left to my own devices. I was playing with dolls, I think a lot longer than, than people should be doing. And, <laughs> and I remember like Greta Gerwig actually had this incredible interview recently where she talked about that, of so much of our imagination is shut off at a certain age. And I feel like mine was just maybe not fostered more, but I didn't shut it off because that's all I had. So, yeah, storytelling was just, like, ingrained in me. I guess. Well, I'm sure the ADD fueled it a little bit, too. <laughs> just, like, because your mind's already going in a million yeah, places yeah. when you have that. So I'm sure, like. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, I'm, I, well, did you, did you have a relationship with your dad? Um, the, as, a, as a young child, I saw him maybe, like, one or two times a year. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, phone calls very sporadically, but uh, not much of a relationship, yeah. What about now? Uh, no, no, not no. at all. I think um, I, I was like 12 or 13 when I cut off that relationship. And it was at the time I didn't really understand why it like pained me so much and, and hurt me so much. And now like delving into therapy as an adult, like you understand um, I didn't have like the ideal childhood. Like it was still filled with a lot of love from, you know, my mom and from family friends who I consider family. But it wasn't, you know, the ideal by any means. Yeah, no, I... It's it's crazy how when you have something like that and you don't I guess like you don't real you don't consider it trauma when you're that age. Yeah. You know, you don't consider it like a traumatic thing, like, oh it's just that's all I knew is yeah. my dad wasn't around or like that's all I knew. My parents were divorced, you know, mm -hmm. and like I thought every divorced parent argued all the time and didn't co parent very well yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And when you get older, I remember in therapy my one of my first sessions talking about something and immediately crying and being like, yeah. I didn't even know that that was something that affects me that much. Totally. I mean, I had um, one of my earliest childhood memories is being in a hotel pool with my grandparents and seeing this like kid get tossed around by their dad. 
and just being like so sad and not understanding what that feeling was at the time that I didn't have that. But there was a lot of like, I think I didn't see him as much because when I did go see him, I was left alone a lot as a child. So there's a lot of feelings there, obviously, too. That's crazy that you, it says a lot about your character that you did that at that age, that you were able to make that, mm -hmm. kind of set that boundary from such a young age. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much conversation around like, blood is thicker than water, it's your family, and it's only people that really understand sometimes not having that family member in your life is actually more healthy for you than than having them, so. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So was your dad's side where your grandpa was like an aviation legend? Yeah, um, that's my dad's dad, um, and they lived kind of between upstate New York and Texas, and uh, he was the engineer of the first ever plane. Yeah, it, I, I, <laughs> when I saw that little like factoid on yeah. your Wikipedia, I was like, well, I'm gonna have to dig into this a little more. And I was like, oh, yeah. crazy. Like he, I, I'd be way too scared to go into a helicopter, but he like also designed oh, yeah. like, a er, bunch not, of different kinds of helicopters. Not planes, uh, helicopters. Yeah, helicopter, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Clearly it's, I don't know that side that well. Um, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why it's all that. I mean, like it's, it's one of those things where um, they, I remember like watching this video when I was growing up of uh, him. They had a pilot who would pilot the helicopter, the test helicopter, and they would just hope that it worked. And so there's like hundreds of fails of like oh this God. guy goes up 20 feet and then the, you know, something stops spinning and he just, and I remember being told at a very young age that my grandpa was able to pilot a helicopter if the, like if the engine stopped working, like he knew how to land it safely. What? Which is just wild. Yeah, yeah that's so yeah. wild. Yeah. I watch a lot of like retro stuff on YouTube where it's like from the 50s or 60s or whatever. But the 50s, a lot of times I'm blown away by how bold they were of like, mm -hmm. of like, oh, we're just gonna try, we're gonna see if we can go to <laughs> space or whatever. Or like, oh, we're gonna like just see if we can do this thing. And then it, they do it and you're like, that's, that's crazy. Their attention spans were longer. They couldn't go home and watch Bravo. So <laughs> what else is there to do, you know? <laughs> I was, I'm glad you brought up Bravo and so because I actually, I remember your After Buzz days. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely remember those days because that place was like a real workshop for people who were trying to break into the business. Are you still, because I know that besides wrestling, you did reality shows and stuff there too, like The Bachelor, yeah, right? Yeah, that's that's where I got my start uh, before everyone and their mom had a podcast. <laughs> I, I just remember like at that time having to explain to certain people what a podcast was. I'm like, oh, so it's kind of like radio. And they're like, what channel? And you're like, no, not that. Um, so it's I'm really glad to see like how far it's come. Um, it's really just, become this monstrosity in media. But uh, yeah, it was it was a really cool time to be a part of that. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of people from those reality shows because they kind of credit that as why they started their own podcasts. Or um, I mean, it was really the only avenue at the time in that frame of media. So absolutely. Um, I mean, Afterbus was kind of a OG in the space where yeah. it was like they had a podcast for everything. Yeah, it was literally I remember going there back when I was on Lillian Garcia's podcast and it was just like, you'd see everyone just sitting there on those little desks, watching different reality shows, watching yep. different whatever shows, yeah. waiting for their studio time. And it was a real fascinating place. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I I got my start on the reality side of things, doing the Bachelor, Bachelorette franchise um, and then some other reality shows, but it just so happened that 
Monday Night Raw filmed at the same exact time as The Bachelor. And I fell in love with it very quickly. But there were also so many parallels of like celebrity guests that they would have on the show or whatever. And like, I just, I found it so funny that there was this divide between viewership when I feel like there should be so much more crossover. There should be more crossover between yeah. The Bachelor and WWE. Yeah. I do think there are similarities. Well, th this season, wasn't there a guy from NXT on this season? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I fell off of this season. <laughs> I, I, I watched The Bachelor with my and then, wife. And then WWE's had some people from The Bachelor franchise come over. During, yes, yeah. yes, yes, so. yes. I just think, I wish the two sides would give each other a chance more. Because I remember like, when I first started dating my wife, I was like, I'll watch The Bachelor if you watch Raw with me. And she was like, deal, <laughs> deal. And so then now I- Now both of you are watching each other's now, shows. Yeah. Exactly, you know, and I, and I, the drama that happens on The Bachelor is amazing. Yeah. Like all those reality shows, they're always good. But The Bachelor is like prime drama a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Although they've they've kind of fallen out of the drama a little <laughs> bit. It's a little too nice these days when I watch The Bachelor. Yeah. Like I preferred when they were a little messier. Because mm -hmm. now I watch, I, I couldn't get into the season. Like I was so bored of that Charity girl. That's her name, right? Charity? Oh, I think she's incredible. I think <sighs> she's really good. But, but everyone was so nice. It's just so nice. It's like... No one's watching The Bachelor because they actually want to watch people fall in love. Like, they, oh, I do. You re yeah, they never I make think, it anyways. I think I'm like such a hopeless romantic where I want to see it work. <laughs> no? no, no. I mean, I, you definitely like you're entertained by the train wrecks along the way. Yeah. But I feel like I ultimately want to see two like healthy, loving people find each other. No. I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> but I feel like because the track record is not very good for that actually yeah. happening on the show that I, I'm never the, thinking these two are actually going to end up together. The Bachelorettes have a lot higher success rate. <laughs> yeah. That's true, yes. <laughs> that is true. But, but bringing it all back, I was doing the, the Bachelor Bachelorette franchise there and then um, also ended up working behind the scenes at the studio, talent booking for several different series and had a very, like, probably similar to your wife, like, very adverse idea of what WWE was. And I started watching during that time and just like absolutely fell in love with it. Like so hardcore, couldn't consume enough wrestling, so. But is Bachelor still kind of like your secret number one love um, of TV shows? I still watch it. I feel like I, I watch a lot less TV in general nowadays. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love a guilty pleasure reality TV show. You don't so. watch a lot of TV these days? No. What are you no. doing? Um, working or I read a lot. Really? I, yeah, I read a lot. What are you reading? Um, a lot of nonfiction. So anything from, um, biographies, um, to self-help books to, yeah, just all across the board. I love Malcolm Gladwell. I love, um, Ryan Holiday who does daily stoic stuff. I love all of those books. That sounds a little better than reality TV. I know. Like, it will better for the for the soul. I balance it out, so I'll like read a couple chapters, watch an episode of Love Island, and like you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I uh, my my guilty pleasure of reality TV right now is is 90 Day Fiance. Okay. There's so many of them, so it's yeah. like it's it's almost like wrestling at this point, where yeah. it's like there's a 90 Day on there's two on Monday, there's one on Sunday. It's like there's too many to keep up with as it is. Yeah. There's UK version. There's all these different things. So it's like, I can, I, I'll, I stick with that right now. I watch all of this now from like kind of a messed up frame of mind of, I love the psychology of it all. So I'm just like dissecting kind of like therapizing people from my couch <laughs> as I watch. And that's, that's my entertainment. Um, so 
What do you remember about your first day on the job with WWE? First day on the job. I mean, I was I was really thrown into it. Um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, when I got hired, um, I moved to Stanford, Connecticut, and they kind of kept me in the studio, not doing anything for a month, and then had my big debut at WrestleMania. Uh, real sink or swim moment. I don't know if anyone remembers. I sunk. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, that was, uh, it was something that actually I feel like loomed over me for the next like several years. What and was I the wasn't thinking moment? To, um, I was, I mean, I had never done live television before, as you know, like doing a podcast that is live is very different than, you know, trying to, to hit your marks on things, toss oh, to someone. Night and day. Yeah, exactly. Like you can have a little bit more of a conversation um, in this capacity. And so I was thrown into WrestleMania weekend in Dallas and I was so grateful for the opportunity. I mean, like this was my dream at that point. Um, and yeah, it was just like, it was very, I don't think I was ready. I don't know whose idea that was, but it was definitely like, I was not ready for that opportunity. Um, and I was doing that weekend NXT takeover. I was doing, um, the hall of fame red carpet. Like there were so many, uh, live hits that I had to navigate through as someone that's never been on TV before and never done live television before. Um, so yeah, that was, it was a, I made it through, but like barely survived. People underestimate how hard it is to do live TV. Yeah. I've had to do it twice and it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Because you, when you know that like there's certain times you have to hit, you have to do, and you just, and most of all, you just know everyone's watching you live. There's totally. no edit. There's yeah. nothing. You're just yeah. you're just doing this. Yeah. It's oh, it's scary. And and I think I like I made it through in some capacity, but especially on the the red carpet for the Hall of Fame. Um, if you've ever had an ear prompter, I was fed one wrong piece of information oh. and didn't know how to recover. And then I flubbed a piece of information and didn't know how to recover. So those two things, I think, really just like set the tone for. Um, the rest of that, the time there, yeah. So you think that 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 one weekend loomed over you for the rest of the time you were there? Oh, absolutely. Do you think that was maybe in your head, or do you think it actually? Um, I mean, I think you're going to remember your mistakes more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, but that weekend for sure, like I remember four years into my career doing two paragraphs of live hits on NXT every single week, being told that I wasn't able to do live television. So, Ugh. yeah. Ugh. That's tough. That's tough. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I did backstage here, I thought it was going to be taped. And they were like, all right, it's going to be, it, it was live to tape. Mm -hmm. So it was like, there's no editing yeah. this. It was close enough, you know? And it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was scary. It I mean, there's, there's also no other way to learn. Like you have to learn on the job. Obviously, like you can set yourself up in a better way to do it. But it was super intimidating. Yeah, that first week, like I knew no one. So I went in and I was told, uh, don't go in as a fan by Michael Cole. So like I already, I was like nervous of, you know, how you're supposed to shake everyone's hand. You want to be respectful. I wanted to do that. And I was second guessing everything. I was just so in my head. Um, and I remember, uh, Cody Rhodes and Brandy at the time, um, they kind of like helped me in that capacity. Cause one of my first assignments was with them. Um, they were like, Hey, just like go in the locker room, shake everyone's hand. No one knows who you are. Like, it's all good. Um, and that really stuck with me, especially like in retrospect, knowing what they were going through personally that weekend, like that was when they decided to leave. Um, so 
He's good people. He's always looking to help people. No matter what he's going through, both of them, they're always looking to help others. That's like the best part about them. Mm-hmm. Like he's reached out to me at times when he didn't have to, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, he's a good guy. A leader. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, the time you were in NXT was such a special time. Uh, I can only imagine how fun it had to have been from mm-hmm. your perspective of like getting to see yeah. the brand grow during that time. I mean, you're getting to go to work with your friends every single week. Um, and then you're creating something that you're really proud of. So that was, I mean, that was basically it. Um, we all kind of had this team mentality. Um, we wanted the show to be good. We wanted everyone to bring out their best and everyone was super supportive of each other. So that made it that much easier. Um, but yeah, it was cool to be a part of that. Um, I don't think you realize that in the moment. You just know that like, you know, you're trying to do your best, but I actually feel like most, almost everyone who was a part of NXT at that time, I don't think people thought that it was going to end anytime soon. It felt like you guys were building this foundation for something that was going to last for a long time. And while NXT has continued on in a different way, mm-hmm. it's just not the same as it was during that time. I mean, I didn't say it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just, I mean, it's, they're different. It was, yeah, they're no, just totally. different. It's just different. You know, I think that NXT is going to live on for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, there's talented people there. Yeah. People like watching the shows. I just think that the show that that the 2.0 uh, is just different than the black and gold. Oh, totally. You know, and and that was just like a time when, and I don't know where you can find this anywhere else in the industry other than in WWE. But as a creative and as a talent, you are able to have so much say in the story that you're telling. Um, and and it's respected and it's listened to. So you're not just a talent. You're also the producer. You're the writer. You're all of these things. Um, it's a really special thing to be a part of. And then when that's happening, it's even cooler when you're changing the business as you're doing all of those things. Like I think NXT at that time undoubtedly changed the business for the better. It made mm-hmm. it made people take women's wrestling more seriously. Yeah. It it changed the perception of indie wrestling. It made it made the higher up see that fans wanted to see a new kind of style. Yeah. Um, and I think it did change the business for the totally. better. And then when I came back, I feel like Raw was kind of that. For me, at least from my perspective, I saw, along with having like a lot of my friends from that era on Raw, um, it felt like that was, uh, there was a little bit more like creative leeway with people. Um, they were able to explore things. And, and part of that is just having an extra hour of TV. You have more time to fill. Um, but people feeling really creatively fulfilled, getting to try things, getting to see what works and what doesn't. Um, and that's, you're seeing like a lot of those storylines unfold now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and, and you can see that because a lot of the, ta- some of the talent, you can feel like that they have taken a, a greater ownership over what they're doing now mm-hmm. and, and, it, yeah. and it shows on TV, I yeah. think. Uh, so, w- so before we come, we get to you coming back, uh, how difficult was it for you to step away? Um, it was really challenging. I um, I think at the time I said that it was for reasons of to pursue other things. And those are, and I still believe I could have pursued all of those things within WWE. Um, but I felt like at the time I really needed to step away. My mental health was really had declined. Um, I've struggled with, you know, depression and panic attacks, anxiety, basically like from high school on, um, on and off. And it was really tough. Um, like I said, I felt like the, the initial week of messing up on live TV kind of like loomed over me for a while. Um, but 
I struggled to try to get to that place that I wanted to be at, which is, you know, being the backstage interviewer on one of the main shows. Um, I was told that I was too tall. I was told that I had brown hair and they had too many girls with brown hair. So I dyed my hair blonde. Like there were so many things that I tried to do, um, whether that was creating shows that were live for the digital aspects of things so I could prove that I could do live. So it was this constant like uphill battle of trying to prove myself. Um, and it felt like I had hit that point where it just wasn't going to happen. Um, I remember having a conversation with um, Michael Cole, who wasn't even my boss at the time. Um, but after having done like all of these live hits with NXT and being told that um, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and it was really defeating. Um, I remember like the last few months I was crying every single day. Um, my close friends, my family like knew that. And I smiled through it at work most of the time. I think there were like one or two times that I broke um, being in the locker room. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it felt like the dream that I had um, and whether that, that that was promised or not at the beginning, um, it wasn't gonna happen there, so. Uh, I could have probably stayed in, like I was told at the time that uh, I would have a job there until I'm 87 if I wanted it. So I could have coasted in that, you know, doing a lot of the digital stuff and, and producing and creating content, um, but that ultimately wasn't my goal, so. Well, you also seem like someone who, like, I, I think I can relate with you in the fact that, like, you almost feel like if you're not accomplishing the goal that you have there, then you're stagnant and, like, what are you even doing this for, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, I, I can I can definitely relate with that when you're like, well, if the people up there are never going to see what I'm doing, yeah. like, maybe there's people elsewhere who will see what I'm doing and I can yeah. be a little more fulfilled in my life. Yeah, I mean, it, re it really is such a defeating thing of when you have this goal that you want to accomplish and like I would be written into a script and then they would tell me that that segment wasn't actually going to happen on the pay-per-view or whatever it was and then you'd see someone else in that position and so it just like it gets really discouraging after a while um I ended up burning myself out towards the end as well of I was trying to prove myself um prove that I was like the right option to be in that position and I was not just going to NXT not just doing the in-studio stuff in Stanford, not just going to the main roster shows and the pay-per-views at the time, but, um, you know, coming up with other concepts and you just like, you end up burning out. Like, that's really what it is. I like you being so honest about yeah. this because I think that, you know, you'll hear people who are successful be like, oh, don't compare yourself yeah. to others. You know, you just got to focus on you. But it's like really hard to not compare yourself to your contemporaries yeah. and be like, well, if they're getting the opportunities and I'm not, what's happening here? Like, yeah. how do I fix that? And I don't think that that was necessarily comparison. It was just me wanting to be in that position. You're competitive. And, like, and you're competitive and, and you're, you want to succeed. I, I think I was competitive with myself. Okay. Um, I don't think I was competitive with anyone else. I want to see my friends succeed. I want to see, you know, like, I want to see people on both sides of me succeed. Um, I think it was just in that position specifically. Like, I thought that, like, that was what I wanted to do. Um, that's the role that I felt like I would be best in. So... Did you, so then when you leave WWE, is that when you moved, did you move right to LA again after that? Um, I actually, I left uh, Stanford. I moved to 
Brooklyn for some time. And then um, maybe like a month or two before I ended up leaving WWE, they finally let me move back to LA. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. And then did you did writing while you were away for a little bit too, right? Yeah. Yeah. How good was it to get that out of you? Um, I mean, it was something that I've wanted to accomplish for a while. So writing a screenplay was something that was a bucket list for me. Um, and yeah, it's one of those things that I think so many people have the idea, but to actually like put it pen to paper um, and complete something, it's a feat. Especially so, a screenplay. Those are yeah. long. Like that's, you, under, you don't think about how long a movie is until you have to write it. And yeah. you're like, oh, wait, how many hundred pages? Oh, crap. <laughs> and it, it was one of those things where like I had the idea. I felt like I had to write it. Um, and I didn't think that I was necessarily capable of doing that. I wanted to either outsource that to a someone who has written in the past <laughs> um, or just come up with a treatment. But I felt like at that time, um, I had the opportunity to not just do it myself but to learn how to do it so that I could potentially tell stories like that in the future um but it was going to be told exactly how I wanted it to be told <laughs> I'm a little I mean like you know as a yes. as a creative like you can have an idea you can have a concept and as much as you explain it to someone else does it turn into exactly what you want it to be I thought I had the best idea once and I wrote a treatment out and I had people read it that were in the industry and they were all like, uh, you're going to have to write a script for this if you want us to understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little out there. I mean, that's that's something not a knock on the industry at all. <laughs> I think like just in general, like the entertainment industry as a whole, I remember being told when I first started, um, you know, 15 years ago, it's the least creative, creative industry that you will ever find. Yes. Of people don't know what they want until they see it in front of them. And, you know, you can hand this brilliant idea. I mean, like there are so many examples of movies that got turned down how many times before they were finally made and they're, you know, Oscar Academy Award winning movies. Um, but yeah, it's well, like that's why I like reading that Hollywood blacklist that comes out every year that, uh, what is that? it's basically like it's like a list that comes out every year of the best unmade movie scripts that are being oh, pitched okay. around yeah, yeah. the industry. And it, and it always amazes me to see how long it takes from something being on the blacklist to when they actually finally mm -hmm. make it. Like there's movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once that were on there. And like, there's lots of big movies that yeah. the first time people heard about it was outside of the industry was because it was on the Hollywood blacklist. Mm -hmm. And people were like, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Someone should make that. And so uh, I love reading that every year yeah. because it's, I too sometimes think that there can be such a lack of creativity in what you see actually get made. I mean, we're just parroting what everyone else in the industry is saying. Yeah. Of, you know, do you need a, a fourth sequel to something? Do I need a Mission or, Impossible 18? You I mean, know? yes, but <laughs> <laughs> we also need all of the Fast and Furious movies. We do actually need those. Um, but there are, there are a lot of things that I don't know should be remade before you come up with an original concept or green light an original concept. That's why I liked Barbie so much just because exactly it was so like you, that movie had no right to be that creative. Mm -hmm. Like that movie could have easily just cookie cutter. This is Barbie. This is Ken. They're in love. They have the boring story and they sell it and make tons of money. Yeah. But I think it's cool that they like took a chance, tried mm -hmm. this thing that was very out there and made a billion dollars off of it. Like that's what I like to see in the entertainment mm -hmm. industry for sure. Yeah. Uh, I hope this writer strike ends soon because it they they 
writing is tough. Like you said, like it's it's a lot to like, it's a big accomplishment to actually get it all written. It's mm -hmm. not easy. So um, I would like to see these people get paid for the work they do. So how did WWE re-enter the picture? Um, I mean, like I said, when I left, the door was never completely closed. It was wanting to be a part of a specific, you know, either Raw or SmackDown at the time. Um, and I had always had an open door um, with both Steph and Hunter, um, stayed in contact the entire time. Um, and it was, it, I think it started as me reaching out to Hunter as a happy birthday text. Um, I was in Alaska with my mom at the time and he just started talking about how he was fishing there <laughs> years ago and just remembers it fondly. Um, but that turned into him asking me to have a conversation with Steph, um, which is something that he also asked me as I was leaving. Um, and I just had my mind made up at that time. Um, but I credit them to me coming back. Uh, I think that they're incredible leaders. Um, I loved working with him at NXT during that black and gold era. And um, yeah, it was just, it felt like the right time uh, and the right opportunity. Steph was really welcoming with like listening to what I actually wanted to do. She offered um, if I wanted to learn how to do commentary, if I wanted to have more of a, a writer role since she knew that that was something that I was passionate about as well. Um, and this opportunity opened up right as uh, we were having those conversations. So it was very uh, serendipitous. Triple H seems like he's always been a big supporter of your work. Like, I think that it's so important when you're in a role like you are to, to feel like the people you're working for believe in you. Mm -hmm. And it's always been so evident that he believes in you and, and wants to foster your growth in, in these roles. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I don't know what about <laughs> me is, uh, he, he sees, but I, uh, I look up to both of them. I think that they're both incredible leaders. Uh, I talked about this in the past, but just being around both of them at, um, and all of the panels that we've done, like you learn just through osmosis by seeing how they work, um, seeing how passionate they are about the industry um, and and how much love they have for it. So, Did you, I know you wanted to be the interviewer on Raw or SmackDown and now you're getting, they're, they're telling you you're going to get that opportunity, but did you have any reservations about coming back at all? Um. I don't think so. No. Um, like I said, because that door was always open, I don't think that like I second guessed coming back. Um, it was more of like, okay, this is this role is finally open. Um, I felt very ready for it. I'd felt ready for it for a while, but I felt ready for it in that moment. Um, and. Yeah, no, I don't think any hesitation coming back. Seems like it was more excitement to finally get the opportunity. Exactly, yeah. Since that's what you've been looking to do the, the whole time you were there. Yeah. Uh, I I have, I really enjoy that since you've come back, it, it, I enjoy how much you utilize your free time in making TikToks and doing other things because <laughs> I think, you know, like, I think more wrestlers should be doing that. Of yeah. like, it really just brings people in and makes them care about you more. Yeah. And I've only seen, even though people liked you before what you were doing at NXT, 
I feel like there's like this whole Kathy Kelly universe that has sprung up via TikTok <laughs> of all these different stories that are going on that people are like yeah. really invested in. And that's not an easy thing to do. And it's just kind of like you on your phone and your free time. I mean, that was something that I always, when I was working with digital in a bigger capacity, I thought that there was this opportunity even though we have, you know, hours of television time, there's so many more stories that can be told elsewhere. Yes. And and TikTok seemed like it was just an easy avenue to tell those stories. And I, I still think like that's something that WWE can do in the future of like stories can start in a digital exclusive. Stories can, you know, uh, I think they, they do a great job actually at like utilizing Twitter or X Whatever it's called. Uh, yeah. Uh, utilizing social media to to create matches and to to start feuds and whatever that is. But uh, there's still such an untapped side to all of that. I completely agree. I mean, mm-hmm. most people are staring at their phones all day. Exactly. Well, maybe I just say that because I'm staring at my phone all day. There's a lot of people staring Probably at their phones all day. Probably people that are watching this are also staring at their phones <laughs> good, all day. Good. We're all staring at our phones yeah. all day. Okay, good. And I think that, yeah, I think that it... it why not? Why not take that time? You know, take the the interest away from other things other people are doing. Yeah, and totally. Bring more interest in what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. it also felt like you found an immediate kinship in Dakota Kai in your TikTok. Yeah, I mean, she and I were close during that NXT time, but um, we've only gotten closer since I've come back. And she was game to do a lot of those TikTok trends or whatever. Um, but yeah. I love the one. What was the one you guys did the other day that made me laugh about food or something? What was it? It's like you were sitting on the ground looking frustrated for some reason. What was it? I, and regardless, I'm glad she's yeah. back now, too, because it's nice that she's on the road and you guys can make these TikToks I again. Mean, she's just one of the best humans. So it's honestly like a lot of the time what we do is just stuff that makes us laugh. And and that's like I feel so grateful to like be a part of WWE because who gets to say that that's their job? Like, who gets to say that as an adult, like, oh, yeah, I work for WWE. My boss is Triple H. Like, that's really freaking cool. Um, I genuinely. guy, that's your boss? <laughs> like, yeah, that's my boss. I mean, I genuinely believe, like, it's the coolest place to work. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity to just have fun at work, too. Like, a lot of the things that we're doing are just things that make us laugh. So we hope that that translates and other people find enjoyment in it as well. Oh, yeah. The people are very invested in your Rhea Ripley storyline. Oh, and yeah. In your... In your- like it's so funny to read the coverage of it on on or on Twitter uh, on Google. If you like Google it, people don't really know exactly like what to call this mm-hmm. triangle. So yeah. they're just like, oh, there's all these weird ways of trying to word it. But uh, I like that you've got this kind of like heartbreak situation mm-hmm. going on because it's yeah. very relatable. Yeah, we've all been there. I mean, I, I knew that you were going to bring that up, but I'm actually very private about that side of my life. I've never publicly spoken about my personal life. Um, but yeah, I, I get, I mean, like it comes with the territory that like people are invested. Well, it doesn't help when you got Mia Yim taking videos and you're in the background talking to I didn't to know Rhea. that that was going to happen, okay? <laughs> you can't, I mean, like granted, we are in a place where there are a lot of cameras, but I thought that. Thought you were in a private moment? <laughs> you know, you actually though, don't talk about your personal life very much. <laughs> I've noticed that about you. You, you like. You talk about traveling or what you think about things, but you don't talk about your personal mm-hmm. life very much. So I'm glad we kind of yeah. got to delve into that a little yeah. bit today because I, I do- will say though that Rhea is an icon and a legend and like an absolute ratings machine, ticket draw. But where do things stand between the two of you right now? Uh, 
I knew that you were going to ask that. Um, we're working on it privately. So, yeah. That's all I'll say. <laughs> okay, That's fair enough. Say. Fair enough. Well, uh, I think I've reached my limit here. Uh, so, we'll ha you're in L.A., so we'll have to have you back again in the yeah. future. Uh, but really, I... I appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah. Um, I'm all, I've always been a fan of your work. Uh, it's super cool to see you back now. I, I love the TikToks. Uh, you're killing it on screen. So uh, congratulations on all the success. And I'm glad you're back, dude. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. That was my conversation with Kathy Kelly. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It's always nice to have someone in person. No offense to Zoom. Love Zoom. Zoom has been a lifesaver since the pandemic. It's helped bring people together. You rock Zoom. But it's always nice to have an in-person conversation as well. So very happy that Kathy Kelly was able to stop by this week. Now, before I'm out of here, a little bit of shilling that I got to do here. Make sure you follow at WWE on Fox on social media. X, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Threads. Make sure you're following us there so that whatever platform that you prefer to be on, you're not missing out on any of the stuff that we're doing here at WWE on Fox. And also, if you are listening to the podcast version of this show, make sure you go subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find clips from Raw and SmackDown. You can find the full version of this show every week. There's YouTube shorts and a community tab. There's so much going on there, so make sure you subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. And if you're watching on the YouTube channel, what up? I appreciate you. You're a good person for watching on YouTube, but make sure that you subscribe to the Out of Character podcast feed as well. That way you don't miss out on the Raw and SmackDown roundups that I'm doing every week. All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this has been Out of Character.